If you brought your Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 and 2 as we start a brand new series this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Carl. Um, I love being the pastor, a pastor here at Sierra Bible Church, and uh, we are excited to uh, start and kick off a brand new year, 2019 here uh, at Sierra Bible Church, although I must admit that I woke up this morning and uh, saw a couple inches of snow, and I thought to myself, this place is going to be bare. No one is going to want to get up in the morning, trek out the snow, and uh, come and worship God. But all of you have proved me wrong, so I am giving you a hand here this, <laughs> this morning. Um, my family and I, we went, uh, spent a couple days back in the uh, Chicago area. It's where we're from. It's um, where I was born, where I was raised, uh, and uh, we've been out here for just over a year and a half uh, s- serving here at Sierra Bible Church, and we, we realized uh, that we're becoming Nevadans rather quickly as uh, we were in the Chicago area, and for eight days, we saw the sun once. One time, we are, where in the world is the sun? How are the people here not just continually depressed all of the time, especially with Chicago politics? <laughs> we also, uh, I also f- figured that I was uh, becoming a more native Nevadan uh, as uh, one day we woke up and there was about an inch or two inches uh, on the ground, and I, I thought to myself, this is probably very Reno-specific in Nevada, but I thought to myself, wow, there's an inch here? There's probably about 10 to 12 inches in the mountains. <laughs> and then I realized, no, it's flat. It's one inch everywhere. If it, such an amazing, unique climate we have here in Nevada. Um, before we dive into our exposition, I'd like to give us a, a little brief update of kind of where we're at as a church, uh, and one of the things that is happening in this new season as we start 2019, uh, the shepherds have began a process of trying to discern, we've, we've discerned that it's time for us to add to our shepherding team. Uh, the shepherds are a, a team of lay elders, lay shepherds, that uh, are are tasked with uh, partnering with the senior pastor in loving, leading, and shepherding the flock of God entrusted to us here at Sierra Bible Church. So what does that mean? It means that we are looking for men uh, that fit the qualifications of a shepherd that's outlined in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Uh, I've kind of put them all together in 23 simple qualifications. Uh, uh, We're looking for uh, a man or men who are able to teach, not a lover of money, who hold firm to the word, give instructions in sound doctrine, able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine, who are above reproach, self-controlled, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, the husband of one wife. (laughs) This was up there and somebody was like, Carl, you're disqualified. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) A husband of one wife, hospitable, upright, holy, noble ambition, sober-minded, respectable, not a drunkard, manages his household well, has submissive children, 
good public reputation, a lover of good, disciplined, longevity. And if you know anybody who fits all of these qualifications, they can have my job. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, we are looking for men who are already performing these types of duties, who are already exhibiting these types of aspects of God's grace at work in their life. And you play an important role in helping the shepherds to discern these men. Uh, so our shepherds currently are uh, Brett Steinhardt, go ahead and raise your hand just so everybody can know you. Uh, Dean Stone here. Uh, you saw Doug Frith uh, lead communion here this morning and uh, Howard Begbie. Um, if uh, we, over the course of this next month, we, we would really like and appreciate you to give us uh, some people, that, some men that you think kind of fit this qualification. Um, uh, kind of the process that we'd like to see happen. Uh, so for the month of January, we just want to gather as many names and, and as many people uh, that kind of fit these qualifications as, pro as, as possible. Then in the month of February, we want to uh, evaluate uh, all of these men that have been kind of put forth. Uh, then uh, after we do the kind of the initial evaluation, we'll have like one or two, maybe three, we'll see, uh, that kind of fit these as kind of final candidates for the role of shepherd in which we'll present to you. Um, then from that uh, presentation through March, we'll give two or three weeks or so in which you can give some initial, you can give some feedback from that. And then uh, we'll do a final assessment in March and hopefully by April we'll have one or two new or three, or maybe six, we'll see, uh, new shepherds. But now you play an important role in just giving us some initial names of men who would be qualified uh, to be a shepherd of Sierra Bible Church. Okay, now let's start the new season with this new series. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful to be done with the Christmas season. I love Christmas, I love gifts, I love Christmas trees, I love showering my kids with gifts, I love visiting family, I love the banquets, I love the restaurants, I love the gatherings, I love the carols, but I'm also very exhausted by them. Anybody else? Couple people, <laughs> a couple people are yes and amening, uh, but I also get very exhausted and I also know that kind of during the Christmas season, it, it kind of skews our perception of kind of, uh, of, of faith uh, because people are usually very active and open to uh, God and Jesus and those types of things during the Christmas season, but then it usually wanes kind of immediately after that, uh, which is why now, this season, kind of after Christmas and before Easter and also kind of after summer, and fall and before Christmas, those kind of two seasons are where the most spiritual growth happens. It's probably the most important seasons for a church. It's kind of just after Christmas and leading into Easter because you really need to press in. It's where the most of the growth happens. You know, like a, a sports team isn't revealed most primarily in the games. Like that's public. That's what everybody sees and 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 whether they win or whether they lose, but the game is really won between, mon between the practices and the, the, the times when people, it's not a big, when it's not a big show. 
And so coming into 2019, I really want to encourage us to really lean in this year, to really press in to what God is doing here at Sierra Bible Church and to really take this year seriously because our success or failure kind of as a church really is won or lost in these important seasons uh, when perhaps faith and God and these things aren't on the forefront of people's minds. So I just really want to encourage us from the outset to do that. And I am just so thrilled for this book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. I, I think it's one of, uh, the, one of the most important documents that has ever been written. In fact, uh, one New Testament scholar, P.T. O'Brien, says, the letter to the Ephesians is one of the most significant documents ever written. I agree. Uh, also, uh, J. Armitage Robinson, another scholar, says this, uh, says Ephesians is the crown of Paul's writings, uh, but Raymond Brown probably summarizes the impact of the book that it's had over the course of the last 2,000 years of church history probably best in saying that only Romans really could match Ephesians as a candidate for exercising the most influence on Christian thought and spirituality. So we're going to take our time through this sermon series. We are going to dive deep into what God has said through the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus because every word is so important for us to understand, to have it go deep into our soul and to be lived out as we go into the various callings that God has for us outside of the church. This book will hopefully strengthen and reinforce our spiritual life to where we will be strong and confident uh, Christians that uh, know God's word and handle doctrine uh, correctly. So uh, that's why we're starting in only verses 1 and 2 this morning. Uh, hopefully by the end of this message you'll see that the, the, uh, from this message that, uh, by, that our lives should express this very fruitful, very salty understanding of grace and peace, uh, both in the church and to others. Uh, we'll see this primarily in three ways. We're going to see the source of our calling in verses, the first half of verse 1, the focus of our ministry in the second half of verse 1, and the result, result of our service in verse so if you brought your Bible, if you have your Bible, uh, open to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. The Apostle Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you. And peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask and we pray that you would be with us, that you would help us, that you would help us to understand your word as we embark on this new, uh, through this new book of Ephesians. God, I ask that you would be clear, you would speak clearly to us that you would help us to understand your word correctly 
and apply it to our lives in a way that produces transformation. Thank you for the grace that we have received from God in the gospel. Thank you for the peace that we have, have received from Jesus through you. And thank you for all that uh, you have done for us in Christ and help us to truly understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, over the course of the church uh, history, most people have just taken at surface value, at surface level, that what the Bible says is true. Uh, In fact, when people open up Ephesians and they say, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, people have just generally understood that, well, Paul, the apostle of God, Jesus Christ, who planted churches all throughout the Mediterranean world in the first century, wrote this book of Ephesians. Well, in the late 1800s, people with far too many letters after their names started to get really creative. And they started to think, you know what, maybe Paul the Apostle wasn't the actual author of this letter that we have in the Bible. And they give a number of reasons for this. They say, well, you know, the whole letter, it's way too impersonal for Paul. Like, the the real Paul uh, in Galatians and Romans, he writes these glowing personal remarks to the churches that he's writing, and Ephesians really doesn't have a lot of personal content to it, so it's very impersonal. It's probably too impersonal for the Apostle Paul to write. And if you notice the language and the writing style, it's much different in Ephesians than it is in other letters that we know are written by Paul. There's uh, 84 words in the book of Ephesians that aren't used anywhere, and 41 41 words in in the, the letter to the Ephesians that aren't used anywhere else by Paul. So perhaps because of these differences in this language and this writing style, maybe Paul didn't write this. They'll also refer to, you know what, the relationship between the letter to the Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians, you know what, that probably means that uh, the letter was written, that Ephesians was written after Colossians, and Colossians was just used as source material uh, for this letter to the Ephesians, but somebody just wrote in Paul's name after they had kind of Colossians to use as a source material, so Paul probably didn't write it. Uh, they also say, you know what, the unique theological emphases that, uh, of this letter to the Ephesians, it probably casts a lot of doubt on the, on the Apostle Paul actually writing it. There's not much talk about justification, uh, there's, and the focus is more on salvation. When it talks about the church, it talks about the church globally and universally, whereas when Paul uses the term churches in other letters, it's talking much more locally. So maybe Paul didn't write this because there's a very unique theological emphasis. And perhaps the authorship wasn't by Paul. This is the dominant view in higher critical circles. Uh, the, uh, Paul perhaps didn't write this, but it was written by Paul's later disciples after he died in order to carry on the tradition of Paul. So you might be asking yourself, why did we just go through this exercise outlining the five reasons why New Testament critics don't hold to the authorship of Ephesians by Paul? Well, the answer is so straightforward that I probably don't even need to say it. Verse 1, chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, 
the document itself is attesting that this is an original work by the Apostle Paul, by the will of God. This is carrying forward spiritual weight that is so heavy that it is hard for us to truly understand it. It, is more, it has more weight and more gravity to it than if you were to receive a letter in your mailbox, you open it up, and the opening says, Donald Trump, the President of the United States, and then it's directed to you. There's more weight behind Paul saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, than it would be for you to receive a letter from the President of the United States directly addressed to you. No overstatement there. So it's really important for us to understand whether this document truly is what it says it is or not. The author of this letter is claiming a divine authority, claiming this is a word from God that people should hear, understand, comprehend, and fully obey. The role of an apostle in the New Testament is rather clear. The overwhelming instances in which it's used, it means those who are called and sent by Jesus Christ. In the introduction to seven of his letters, Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ and refers to himself by this title. In two others, Paul mentions that he's received his apostleship specifically from Jesus Christ. Not only does this mean that Jesus himself sent Paul, but it also means that Paul's message, both in the words that he proclaims verbally and the words that he writes down to the churches, carry with it a divine authority. It is very important for us to understand and very important for us to know who this man is that is writing this message. It wasn't Paul's job primarily as an apostle to earn an income, although he was permitted to do that and to receive monetary remuneration for his service as an apostle. But his apostleship wasn't a career plan in which he carefully calculated and carefully plotted out the necessary educational path in order to ascend a religious hierarchy after showing his competence and his religious vocation. This was a calling. Paul was called to be an apostle, notice what it says, by the will of God. The language that Paul uses of himself in this opening verse connotes that the calling that he received was a part of God's unmerited favor upon him. It is by the will of God that Paul became an apostle. In other places in his letters, Paul understands this calling to be a result of grace. Grace that wasn't, and it wasn't something that he earned. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, Paul says this, but when he, speaking of Jesus, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned to Damascus again. Paul is saying, when I received this calling to preach to the Gentiles, to be an apostle to the Gentiles, I didn't go to anybody else for affirmation. I went, to, I went away to pray and to, to seek God. 
And he continued his apostolic ministry. He's saying, I received this from God. And then in verses uh, 8 through 10 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says that in Paul's life, it was God's grace that is at work within him, and it's nothing that he earned by saying this. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be even called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. God, by his unmerited favor upon Paul in his life, called Paul to be an apostle by the will of God. God did not call Paul just to be a Christian, just to be saved, just to experience him in heaven one day after he died. God called Paul, set him apart to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles, a preacher of the gospel, someone who would proclaim the excellencies and the riches of Christ to all of the Gentiles. Paul understood that his ministry was a gift of God's grace to him by God's will, by God's choice, not by his own. On September 16th of 1940, President, uh, the United States uh, President, uh, yeah, I was going to I was going to I was trying to remember his D, Franklin, see, I was going to say Dwight, you guys, <laughs> I'm so happy I didn't, Franklin D. Roosevelt uh, instituted the Selective Training and Service Act of 1940. What this means, and this is him signing it here in this picture, it required all men aged 21 to 45 to register for the draft. It was the first peacetime draft in the United States. They ha we hadn't entered into World War II at this point. It was the first peacetime draft in the United States history. Those who were selected from the draft lottery were required to serve at least one year in the armed forces. And once the U.S. entered into World War II, the draft terms extended through the duration of the fighting. By the end of the war in 1945, 50 million men between 18 and 45 had registered for the draft, and 10 million had been inducted into the military. One in five men between 18 and 45 over the course of five years, 1940 to 1945, one in five men were drafted into the military. Not by their choice, but by their country who called them. These men did not volunteer in the sense of signing up by their own volition and entering into service, they were called. They were drafted into service. And they responded, the 10 million of them responded with obedience. Get the application here. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, if God has saved you, you're drafted into his service. This isn't an option. This isn't a choice. This isn't something that I get to choose. Well, maybe being called to ministry is something for some special elite super apostle type of people. No, being called to Christ is being called to ministry, to serve Christ. The draft in 1940 to 1945 was a one out of every five. For Christians, for those who are ever in Christ, it's one out of every one. 
If you are in Christ, you are drafted into his service. This is not optional for you. This is not optional for me. While the areas of service are varied and, multi, and there's many different types of service, there is only one God and one Lord, Jesus Christ, who calls all of his people, not just to salvation, to be with him after we die, but into service, productive, fruitful, God-honoring service up until that point. So the question that we need to ask ourselves at the very outset of this book is what is our ministry? What have we been called to serve? How have we been called to serve? If the introduction of Paul's letter here to the Ephesians reveals that the source of our calling is the will of God from Christ Jesus in the first half of verse 1, the second half gives us a little bit of focus on how that ministry should come into focus. The aim of Paul's ministry was toward the church. Look at the second half of verse 1. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, the term saints here is literally translated as holy ones. It's the term that Paul frequently uses when he just uses a term of Christians in general. The term is derived from Paul's understanding of Israel in the Old Testament as God's holy people. Israel was a holy nation that was set apart from the rest of the world, and, it was, and that nation was to be completely devoted to God. He even, God even says explicitly to Israel in chapter 19, verse 6 of uh, Exodus, saying, to Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now Paul is picking up on this language of holy ones that is given to Israel, and now he's saying, you Christians, you are saints, you are a part of God's people, you've been grafted into this people of God. Christian saints are not, quote-unquote, very pious people like a news reporter might call a Buddhist monk a holy man. That's not how Paul is using the term. Christians are saints because Christians have a new, unique relationship to God. Their status before God has changed. As Paul's going to explain later in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians, this work that God brings us into a new relationship with him, this work is entirely of God. It isn't because of our pious behavior, it isn't because of people's pious behavior, or it isn't because of our intrinsic worth that we're brought into this new relationship. It's because of God and God's grace that he brings people to himself and he declares them to be holy people, set apart because of what Christ has done, not because of what they have done. Of course, godly behavior flows from this new identity of, uh, that we have as saints, as holy ones, but the fundamental identity of every believer that has been granted the gift of God's grace is to become God's possession, God's holy family, God's people. And it's this understanding of saints or holy ones that those who have been set apart by God's grace, that's the basic understanding for what the people of God are today, the church. The church is a spiritual body of people who have believed 
in Jesus Christ. And Paul makes this clear to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. The term here, faithful, it's not like we use the term trustworthy or reliable, like we use it today. And the faithful here are contrasted with unbelievers. It's those who are of faith, those who possess faith in Jesus Christ, contrasted from those who do not possess faith in Jesus Christ. It is the privilege and it is the joy of every person who possesses faith in Christ to be declared a saint, a holy one, someone who has been set apart by God because of his grace to be a part of his family. The focus of Paul's ministry was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. What that means is that he was going to lay the foundation for all of the Gentile churches for which all of these people who are outside of ethnic Israel can be grafted into this church, this people of God that had no previous access to God and who were outside Christ. But now that Christ has come, he's able to graft them into his people through Christ in the church. And the deeper the church in Ephesus understands their new identity as the people of God, the more fruitful their ministry will be, the more reflective of God and his glory, of his grace will be in their community, and the more fruitful or the, the, the stronger the church will be built up. Paul was focused like a laser on his ministry that God had called him to. He didn't get bogged down in endeavors that would have distracted him from his primary calling. The scope of Paul's ministry included all Gentile believers, but it was no less focused on the local church, building up believers in the church, teaching them the truth of the gospel. While none of us in this room are going to be apostles in the sense that Paul was an apostle, none of us are going to be called to lay the, the historic foundation of the, the, the church among the Gentiles, everyone, everyone in this church, in the church, globally and locally, should be focused on their ministry of building the church. Later on in his letter to the Ephesians here in this book, in chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, Paul says, rather speaking the truth in love, not that one yet, we'll get to Khalil Mack in a bit, <laughs> speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, that's you, that's me, that's all of the people in the body of Christ, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The focus of every believer's ministry should be building up the body of Christ. For some of us, that means teaching kids and children's ministry. For others of us, it means renting a pickup truck and going to a brother or sister in Christ's, in Christ's house and uh, moving them into a new location. 
Uh, for others, it means helping a uh, struggling marital couple, a couple that's having marital issues with their problems. For others of us, it means giving generously to a capital campaign. The focus of our ministry should be to build the church. In football, there we go. That's where I was at. In football, the players are focused on winning the game. The fans, they're focused on watching the game. The players and the coaches, they directly affect the outcome of the game. Fans, you can cheer, you can boo, you can be emotionally tied to whether your team wins or whether your team loses. You can post your hot takes about what your team is supposed to do on Facebook and Twitter and say, man, if I was the general manager, I'd get this guy. But fans don't genuinely do anything that affects the outcome of the game. They're just fans. And the problem that we have in many churches across our country is that we have people who claim the name of Christ, claim to be Christians, who act a lot like fans. They cut down the church. They put the church on blast. They go on Facebook, Twitter, post rants about how awful the church is, how horrible of a job the church is doing. And we have our warts. The church is not pure and spotless the way that God desires for us to be. We're growing in our maturity and our understanding of who Christ is. And, and we have plenty of warts to be, to be called out. But if that's the sole focus of your ministry, to go publicly complain about what the church is or is not doing, or just cheer along the church as, hey, yeah, way to go, church. It entirely misses the point of the spiritual dynamic of being called to Christ and to being called to a local body to serve Christ and build up the church in love. That is what being a Christian is. If you are a Christian, you are not a fan. If you are a Christian, you are a player. You've been drafted onto the team. God has said, I have a role for you to play on my team. The advance of the gospel is dependent upon your ministry. Not entirely dependent. It's entirely dependent upon God. But the advance of the gospel in your life and in the life of other people's is a result of your ministry. The growth of the church is dependent upon whether you will get in the game and follow the coach's playbook and, uh, and see the gospel advance. You're not a bystander. You're not someone who just comes to church on Sunday morning and then goes to lunch afterwards and complains about it and says, well, that's the sum total of my, minis uh, of, of my ministry participation. God, if you are in Christ, God has drafted you onto this team. You're a player. You have a role to play. And if God is going to continue to dispense his grace to this world through his church, we need all of our players fit and healthy, spiritually speaking, doing the tasks that God has called them to do so that we build this church up in love, both this church locally and the church globally and universally. So let me just ask the question. It's a fair question at this point. Are you a player? Are you in the game? 
listening to your coach. You're going to perform the tasks that your coach has asked you to perform. Or are you a fan? Sits on the sideline, cheers when things go well, criticizes and boos when things don't go well. The way you will know which side that you're on, whether you're a fan or whether you're a player, is the results that happen from your ministry. If your ministry, if the sum total of your ministry is complaining on social media so that you can gain a lot of followers, you can gain a lot of followers. There are a lot of bitter people that are negative and will follow you. Yeah, put the church on blast. That's great. There's a lot of cynics and critics who are just like you, and you can you could gain a lot of followers. But if your ministry is what God has truly called you to do within his church, the result of your service to Christ in the local church, the result will be grace and peace. Notice what Paul says in the salutation of the letter. He writes, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when the church of Ephesus receives this letter from Paul, it's Paul's deep desire that this entire letter would be a manifestation of God's grace to these people, that they would experience God's peace as they read and study and know more about who God is. He opens nearly all of his letters with this blessing or a similar blessing to it, grace to you. As Paul's unpacking the unsearchable riches of Christ that he's about to write out to this church in Ephesus, he is praying, God, give them a refreshing wind of your grace, an experience of your unmerited favor as they're reading and hearing these words. Allow them to experience the grace of the gospel as they hear these words unpacked for them in their local church. That is Paul's deep desire, and that's why he starts out these letters with grace to you. Grace to you. But the blessing isn't just that people would experience God's grace, it's also that they would have a deep experience of God's peace. Peace is a the term of what God gives to his people who are in Christ and through Christ. Peace comes from the, the biblical term in the Old Testament of shalom, which means harmony with God, being in a right relationship with God, overflowing with peace with God that overflows into our relationships with others, the ceasing of hostility between us and God and others. Grace and peace would be overcome as they read this letter. When a person is in the middle of an, a prestigious academic career and they're looking to make a name for themselves, hot takes like, Ephesians wasn't written by Paul. It will get you published. It will, you'll gain a lot of followers. But for those who love the church of Jesus Christ. Love their brothers and sisters who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who are adopted into this new spiritual family called the church. 
for those of us who are in Christ and in the church, we know that the end goal of all ministry isn't publishing books or gaining academic credentials or even earning fame. We know that the end goal of all ministry is manifesting the grace of God to others so that they would experience the peace of God in their life. While Ephesians is lofty and it doesn't contain a lot of very personal information, it wasn't too impersonal for Paul. The apostle who was gripped by a vision of the glory of God dispensing his grace upon the Gentiles was enough for the people of Ephesus to know this genuinely comes from our apostle, Paul. While the language and the writing style is unique <laughs> in, in Ephesians as compared to perhaps Romans or Galatians, like, if you listen to some of my sermons from 12 years ago, you would probably think that's a different person as well. The relationship between the letter to the Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians, yes, it is striking. But there's sufficient reason to think that Paul didn't, uh, there's sufficient reason to think that Paul wrote two different but yet similar letters to two different yet similar churches. While the theological emphasis of Ephesians is also unique, it's not contradictory, it's not entirely novel in such a way that casts doubt on Paul's authorship. If Ephesians wasn't written by Paul, but, but was written by disciples of Paul after Paul died, it makes almost no sense for these posthumanist writers of Paul telling the church in Ephesus, hey, would you please pray for Paul and his ministry? He's dead. You can be confident that the letter that you're holding in your hands was, in fact, written by the apostle who said he wrote it. One of the best reasons why you can be assured of its authenticity is because of the result of the letter. For 2,000 years, this letter to the Ephesians has resulted in God's grace and God's peace given to millions and millions and millions of people. It's not an academic exercise, although it does help to be sharp in those areas. It's a spiritual exercise. It attests to itself as it's bearing out the grace and the peace of God as people devote themselves to this word. At the beginning of the year, we often think of results of the previous year. We set goals for the future year. We rightly ask ourselves, a year from now, what would we like to see happen? the conclusion of 2019, as we're going into 2020, what would we like to see happen? It's a healthy exercise, and we should participate in some degree. But over and above every goal, or probably better said, through every single goal, the desire for us to have, and I believe God desires for us to have as a church, I pray, deeply, earnestly, I pray that God causes us to be a people that because of our ministry to one another and to this world, that the results of our ministry is grace and peace. 
the people would experience Sierra Bible Church as a place, as a community of believers that are full of God's grace and dispensing of God's peace through Christ. And I pray that as a result of our ministry, you experience grace and peace in your life. I, I am so humbled to be your pastor, to be the pastor of this church. I resonate so deeply with what Paul says in Ephesians, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, for I am the least of the apostles, not even worthy to be called an apostle. If you knew me in my late teenage years, you would say, that kid is definitely not on the pastoral track. But God, by his grace, due to his unmerited favor that he had upon my life, who set me apart from before I was born, called me to be a minister to proclaim the gospel to godless Reno. Just kidding. The joke worked last time. It didn't work this time. People are going to be like, he really doesn't like it here. I love it here. God has set me apart before I was born to be a minister of the gospel. And God, if you are in Christ, has set you apart before you were born for a specific ministry purpose. And we're going to journey through the book of Ephesians here over the course of the next couple of months, and we are going to get to know this God who has called us into his service. So to kind of close this thing out, I want I'd like you kind of in your own way to think through the Apostle Paul's introduction to this letter and let it kind of shape your goals as you're thinking through 2019. Do, do something like this. Obviously, you'd write your own name and your own ministry title, but Carl, a pastor, you could put a nursery worker, you could put a greeter, you could put a loving neighbor and friend of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to Sierra Bible Church, grace and peace to you from God. And then after that, just set your goals. According, what would be the manifestation of God's grace to the people of Sierra Bible Church and the people in which God has called me to serve? What would be the manifestation of God's grace and peace to the people that God has called me to be? And then just list them out. Ways in which you can manifest the grace of God in your life to others. If you want to hear what mine would be in its kind of fullness for the year 2019, you need to come back on the 27th of January. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the work of your grace in the gospel. God, we, we pray that you would be stirring something within us to serve your church, your people, who you've called out by your name. Help us to know and understand and appreciate your grace that you've given to us. Thank you for setting people apart from before they were born for a specific purpose here in Reno in 2019. God, I pray that you would be giving them all sorts of insight into what that might look like, even here as we're speaking. Thank you for all that you're doing within this church. Thank you for how you're moving and shaking and dispensing your grace to so many people. God, I pray that uh, you would help us to be a church that has the results of grace and peace in people's lives. We pray that your kingdom would be built here 
and that we would be active participants on your team, playing for your mission and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.